Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, welcome back to the Outer Spaces podcast sponsored by Yes Express. Uh, today, we have a guest coming back on the show. She was on uh, a while ago and she was so full of incredible information. She's a powerhouse. She just, we'll talk about this in the podcast. This is She's working or just finished her sixth book. And it's all about, you know, in the contracting world and business and growth and all of those wonderful things. So I want to welcome back to the podcast, Ruth King. How you doing, Ruth? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. No, I certainly enjoyed our last conversation and you're just a wealth of knowledge. And I want to, you know, unlock you a bit more and drop some more gold nuggets here on our listeners that they can take and implement right away. So, um, so I want to jump right into this, just right into it, you know, and kind of bear claw this thing. So obviously the world is a little bit crazy right now. Inflation's going up, all of that. There's a lot of uncertainty going on. Um, what are you seeing out there right now from your perspective? What are you seeing in the trades? What are you seeing? What are you hearing about the next six months or year? What does it look like for what you're seeing? All right. Now there's two mindsets. There's a mindset that I am not going to participate in any recession. And there's the mindset where you go, oh my gosh, I'm going to wait till the media tells me I can come out and the recession is over. Mm -hmm. I choose to be the one who say I'm not going to participate. And it really and truly is mindset. Now, mm -hmm. does that mean that you might have to talk to more people before you get a yes? Probably. Um, however, you still keep going. Even in a recession, people are still buying. It's not like the economy stops. That's right. It does slow down. All right. So my sense of it, okay, what do we have to do to get ready to make sure that we are okay in whatever economy there is, you know, whether it's, you know, recession, unfortunately, I hope we don't have it, but you know, the economy might be going gangbusters and then people stop paying attention then, which is the wrong thing to do. Mm -hmm. Um, I can't tell you how many of my clients when COVID hit and everything got shut down for a couple of months or weeks or whatever, I said, I have enough money saved in the bank. Thank you. I can survive whatever happens. And so the absolutely very first thing that you need to do starting today is to figure out how much cash you need to have in the bank at all times to make sure you have enough, you know, mm -hmm. no matter what happens. And my rule of thumb is you take your largest payroll month, whatever that payroll dollar is, and multiply it by six. And you take your largest overhead month and multiply it by three and add those two numbers together. And if you have that much cash saved in the bank, mm -hmm. you should be okay because you'll figure out another way to sell. And I'll give you another, a really good example of this. One of my clients had 80% of his clients, customers in the restaurant business when COVID hit. Mm. You talk about having to pivot like, Wow, oh, yeah. you know, instantly. But we did it because we realized that restaurants are going to shut down and we had to find different markets. So my, and my another rule of thumb, sorry, Josh, but it's just coming out that way, Shoot. is that no more than 20% of your business with any one customer and mm -hmm. no more than 20% of your business in any one industry. 
There'll always be industries that do really well in a recession or in great times of inflation, or and there'll be industries that don't do as well. Make sure that you have your business spread amongst many industries so that you don't have to worry about, oh my gosh, this industry is going to implode like mm-hmm. the restaurant business did in COVID. I mean, that was not smart now. He obviously has changed a lot in terms mm-hmm. of what the customer base looks like, and he'll never go back to you know being so concentrated in one industry. So those would be my first two things. My third would be to have a recurring revenue type of program, whether it's you know contractor maintenance agreements. All of us, you know, have we're we're participants. If you have a gym membership, if you, you log on and have a Netflix subscription, if you are using support from a software company, mm-hmm. um, all these are recurring revenue programs. And and the thing to look around is and talk to your customers is like. Okay, what can we do from a recurring revenue perspective so that I can know that every month I'm going to get a certain dollar amount in and every month I'm going to provide X number of value or every year I'm going to get a certain dollar amount in and I'm going to provide value in the case of maintenance agreements once or twice a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just you've got to do that. And um, over the years that I've been through recessions and inflations and everything else like that, been through several at this point in my life. And what we found is that maintenance agreement clients, you lose maybe 5% of them. They'll stick with you in in thick and thin. So that would be my three suggestions for right now. This is not, okay, I'll do this in the future. This is start saving money, put 1% of every dollar that comes in the door away Mm -hmm. starting today. And that is not hard. The discipline sometimes can be difficult but the action is not hard and start figuring out how much you have to save using my little formula and, and, and get that in the bank at all times, good times and bad. And then no more than 20% of your revenues with one customer in one industry and start diversifying. No, that's great. Cause then that's you can weather, you can weather just about any storm that way. And as you mentioned, yeah. you know, when it comes to, you know, recessions, I've been through them as well throughout the 25 years and, you know, and, and the interesting part is when you have that kind of, you know, just that, that little nest egg sitting behind you, sitting there, you know, getting dust, if anything, you know, at least when things come up, you aren't nearly as stressed. You're like, look, this, this is not going to last forever. Uh, typically these cycles are 12, 16, 18, maybe 24 months. Um, and you're to your point, it doesn't stop. People don't stop spending like in a second. COVID was strange that way where everyone just stopped because it's yeah. never happened before. So, and then you saw within a few weeks, things started to open back up, maybe not in the restaurant business, but people's fear started to you know become a little less and they started to do stuff, especially in our industry, right? Anything in the service, yeah. when it comes to uh, landscaping and all that, it actually pivoted the other way where people were like, shit, I'm stuck home. So now I'm going to do something really cool with my space. I have money because there's money's still cheap. Let's keep going. I got great yeah. equity in my home. Let's build something. And that was a huge boon for our industry. Yeah. You mentioned a few times there about other, you know, make sure you don't have more than 20% of one customer or in one industry. What if I'm a, you know, a small business owner in the landscaping industry and that's my only business, like, and I don't really know how to do reoccurring revenue because I don't like mowing lawns. I don't want to, you know, do those kinds of things. What are some other thoughts you have? And maybe it's even outside of the landscaping world. It is, it is legal to have more than one business guy. So, you know, to have something else in a different industry as a side hustle, you know, to, to get reoccurring revenue that way, this way your family unit is safe and the businesses might get beat up a little bit, but uh, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. So you can have residential, commercial, and industrial. So these are three areas that you can have um, landscaping work in. I mean, businesses need landscaping around their their businesses as as do, you know, most, I shouldn't say most, but a lot of 
landscapers say, okay, I'm going to go and mow lawns or whatever else it is like that. But that can, that can be a piece of it. You may decide you want to do a tree service as part of it. So you may want to join forces with somebody who's, who's really good at cutting down trees or, or something like that. So you're spreading at that point over five things. So that's 20% at that point. Mm -hmm. And then if you are doing just residential, it's pretty easy to say that no one customer is going to have more than 20% of your business unless right. you're this itty bitty tiny little business. Yeah. And that, yeah. that's, that, won't, that won't make you survive for very long either. Yeah. So the more residential customers you have, the less each customer has of your of your total business. Yep. So that's the way I would look at it. Um, from a commercial perspective, you might say, okay, I'm um, taking care of the lawns for um, property managers. Well, what about independent business owners who own their own buildings and need landscaping there? Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're only doing property managers and only property managers of a specific industry, it's time to find property managers in a different industry or it would be time to find property or um, owners of buildings who need landscaping done. All right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, a lot of them don't know who to go to. They're just, you know, who do we go to and everything like that. It, it takes marketing. It takes knocking on doors. But, you know, the more doors you knock on, the more people are going to say yes. You know, if you sit back in your office and go, oh, my God, what was me? Nothing's going to happen. That's correct. Make it happen. Yep. So from that perspective. OK. And then you mentioned. Um, recurring revenue. All right. There are lots of different ways to have recurring revenue. Um, depending upon what your services are, mm -hmm. you can put a bundle for a year. And I'll give you a perfect example of me. Um, my landscaping company, um, January of every year, offers us a 5% discount if we pay for the entire year's work at once. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm going to do that because I'm not making 5% in the bank right now. I That's mean, right. you know, if I was making more than 5%, I probably wouldn't do it. And they probably would up it too. Um, so every year I, I stroke them a check in January. And so they know they have my business for an entire year. Mm -hmm. That's recurring revenue. All right. And every year I do the same thing, even when their prices go up a little bit, which they will because labor goes up and everything else cost wise goes up. Mm -hmm. But that's recurring revenue. So if you take your customers and you know that you go there once a month, once a quarter, you know, once every six months, whatever, once a week even, and you can bundle that together in a package and give them a slight discount for paying all of it, you know, in a quarter or a month or a year or whatever else it is, that's recurring revenue to you. That customer is locked in. Yeah. And that's what it's all about. It doesn't have to be like a Netflix subscription or something along those lines. It can be exactly what you are doing, put into a bundle. And especially and you, you mentioned you mentioned January too, which for most of us in this industry is the hardest month, January, February, right after the holidays. Right, right. It's cold. If you're not plowing snow, you're just keeping your fingers crossed. You're going to make it until April, March, April, it gets some new revenue. So to have an income stream in January is, you know, almost a guaranteed income stream. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? It makes yeah, a big difference. So what I would, yeah. What I'd suggest you all do who are listening is print out your customer base. How long have they been customers? Mm -hmm. And what have you done for them? All right. Can you make that into a package that in January you can offer them a special deal? Yeah. That's your recurring revenue right nice. there. It's already there. Just got to look at it yeah. differently, right? Paint it different color. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. 
So there's there's some of that guys that start thinking about with the reoccurring revenue, making sure you have enough you know money sitting in the bank. She's giving you a great opportunity. We usually figure three to six months of you know core capital that we want to see in the bank sitting there. This way we can weather storms, which is important. So at a baseline, anybody listening, make sure you have at least three months of of operating revenue put away, squirreled away in an interest bearing account somewhere. It's easy liquid liquefied, and we can pull it out. And then that's going to help you because if, if things do change, God forbid they do, but if they do, then at least you're like, you know what? It's okay. Cause to, to both of our points, we've never seen it where it's gone to zero. Like nobody's buying anything yeah. that, that doesn't happen. Right. So the reality is you might see the top 10 or 15 or 20% of people backing off, but you still have 80, 90% of people still buying. They might be more, uh, you know, cautious and conscious about what they're spending. So you might have to bring in more value based options, but that's just keeping your thumb in the pulse of your customer and their anxieties and things like that. So, uh, just be mindful of all those things because uh, that's how you're going to pull through this next move. Cause that's just another pivot. You have the opportunity coming up to launch an entire empire based on how you react to this, to Ruth's point, you're going to put your head in the sand and act like it's, you know, watch the news and say, Oh my God, this is the whole thing's going to, you know, everything's going to fall apart. Or are you going to say, you know what, this is my time. This is my time to grow. I've got to get the skills in place. I've got to learn how to communicate with them. I got to learn how to build these projects. I got to learn my numbers, make sure I know all this stuff so I can be dangerous during this time. This is the time to reposition your company. That's the cool part about it. This is an opportunity like never before. Yeah. And if you look at um, the one of the advertising agencies had, had done a survey of the companies who marketed and advertised during recessions and those who like put their head in the sand. Yep. And the ones who marketed and advertises during the recessions actually did phenomenally better yep. when it was over than those who put their head in the sand. They were actually like three steps behind because they didn't. They forget their, the customers forgot about them. They found this company who said, hey, listen, here's the value that we provide to you. Here's how we can save you money. Here's what we can do for you. Give us a shot. Yep. And they did because their regular companies put their head in the sand. Yep. Duh. <laughs> it, 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 to your point, it's exactly. So whether you're you know advertising on social media or wherever you're advertising, when say 20, 30, 40% of the companies say, I don't have any money left for advertising. I'm just going to pull that out and I'm going to make sure I can, I can start saving that money. The problem is they become irrelevant because they're yeah. out of the sight lines of your clients. And, and this is the opportunity when, when you see less people advertising because they think they're doing the right thing by pulling back, you get more market share, more people see your stuff. There's less competition out there. So when things start to turn downhill, that's the time to put the cold to the fire. That's the time to, to break out of the pack. So anyone listening out there that's thinking like, I'm going to start cutting back on my marketing. Well, if your marketing is not working, you probably should switch to somebody else, but don't stop it. Keep it going. Go hotter, go harder, go all in, because that's what's going to make the difference. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but when this thing spins it back around and we're going into a launching cycle again, you're going to be the only one that anybody knows about because everyone else is pulling out. The other thing to think about right now is that so much has gone online. Um, almost nobody is sending mail anymore. That's I mean, right. my mailbox some days is empty. I mean, think about sending a postcard yep. now. Go back. You know, it's yeah. going to get attention. Whereas, you know, two or three years ago when direct mail, nobody, you know, everybody was still mailing. Yep. They're not now. And if you, and again, it's, it's a buildup. If you send one, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of response. Yep. You send one another month or another quarter and you just keep doing it. By the end of the year or by the end of two years, you're in a situation where guess what? You, people are going to know who you are. 100%. Um, you know, and it's, it's really kind of interesting now with the lack of mail that's in mailboxes and somebody who thinks direct mail doesn't work. Yeah, if you do it once, it doesn't. But 
if you do it over and over yep. and over again. And how much is a postcard these days? Still around 50 cents. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you're, I mean, you're spot on. I just went out and got the mail before I got on this call. And I'm like, just three pieces of mail. And I was thinking that exact thing. I'm like, I used to remember getting a ton of, of junk mail or, you know, whatever, direct mail stuff. And that's eased off. I'm like thinking about all you got to do is drop one beautiful looking postcard. You guys do amazing work. Take your best picture, yeah. put it on there and then do that. But here's the key. And I don't know if you're going to back me up. I hope you will on this one. But uh, I've found that consistency is key, right? You're not going to get to your oh, yeah. point. You're Absolutely. not going to get hit the first time out of the box and be like, all right, I put in 1500, 2000, 2500, whatever into these postcards. I expect to put that in and get immediate response. That's not how this works. Social media, all this advertising takes six months to a year to start acclimating and working. So if you're gonna start with an agency or do this on your own, expect there to be a time horizon. It's not instant gratification in this world. People have to get used to and trust your message first before they'll ever trust enough to call you. So consistency over perfection is, is absolutely uh, paramount in this in this focus, but just consistently hitting them with a good message, a message that resonates with your ideal clients. And you'll start to see that, but it's going to take time. It's going to take time and also give them something that will help them. Yes. Like, Value you know, first. I do a, an, an email every single Monday called co Contractor Sense, and I'm happy to put anybody who's listening to this podcast on it. And I give five minutes worth of here's things that'll help you be more profitable. Here mm. are things that will help you sell more. And, and literally, I've done this since June of 1999. Wow. And it's like, it's really easy things that can help you. And I've done it because I like to give back. Yeah. And, and it's valuable to people. And it's, it's, I love doing it for starters because, you know, I'm a writer anyway mm -hmm. um, from there. But you can do stuff like that if every month, if you want to do a postcard every month to a very specific target audience, you know, put an idea that will help them every month, a different one. The first month they might not see it, but the second month they'll start looking at it and they're thinking, okay, they're providing some value to me before they're asking for something specific. Yes. And, and, and that's really and truly the way you want to do it is always provide value first. Yes. And I, and I have totally believed that my entire life. Um, in that's terms why you're of successful. Making, yeah. Making sure you provide yeah. value. If you don't provide value, why would somebody listen to you? Yeah. The last thing you want to do, anybody listening out there with any of your content or any of your postcards, if you decide to do that or whatever it is, Instagram, Facebook, stop the buy from me bullshit. Nobody wants oh to God. be told to be bought from like, oh, look, I've got the best deal. Buy from me, buy from me, buy from me. That's what that's what advertising in some people's minds are and some agencies as well, to your point and where my heart's at as well is value first. Give value, give so much value. They'd be crazy not to hire you. Educate them, yeah. give them what they want. Think about the seasonality of their landscape or their lawn or whatever part of the world you're in, whatever part of the industry you're in. You know, think about how you can be the value. What kind of questions are they asking during those times of the year? And how can your your content, whether it's a physical postcard or whether it's something on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, how can you be helping them? Because when pretty soon you become the guru, the, the expert in that field, and guess who they're going to call when they need something or who are they going to refer when a friend says, I need somebody to help me out with crabgrass or I'm looking for an outdoor living space. I got this guy at follow. That's all he talks about. That's all she talks about. It's yeah. so powerful. The other, the other thing that would, that works really well is um, 20, 10 questions before Sorry, 10 questions to ask before you hire at blank. Oh, nice. And put cool. it on your website mm -hmm. if you want to do it in a postcard form. When you talk about those questions and give the answers of what they should be, mm -hmm. they know that, you know, in their minds, you're the one who to go to because you're not going to screw it up. Yep. You know, yep. you're not going to not do the things that you're talking about. 
in the direct mail or on your website or something along those lines. I mean, it, it works really, really well. Love that. You know, here's another question you should ask before you hire, you know, you need help with crabgrass, you know, ask mm -hmm. these questions, yep. you know. I love it. I love it. And you're educating them so you can make them powerful. And in, in that you then gain value and expertise in their mind. So it's so powerful. Again, value first is the main thing. So, I mean, you know, Ruth, and you, you and I can talk about this all day long, but I want to make sure we hit a couple of big buttons here today. So I want to shift gears and you've written, again, six books. Uh, congratulations on that. That's that's no easy feat. Before I get into the actual content of the book, I want to ask you a question. We talked a little bit off air on this, but I want to bring it to the listeners. I want to ask you, how the hell did you write six books and run companies and coach? Like, how do you find the time? How do you allocate the time? What is your, what is your strategy? How do you do it? Yeah, my, my strategy is, I've always been an early riser. So from five to 6.30 every morning, um, I wake up at five. So maybe it's 5.10, you know, but till until 6.30 in the morning when I go and then I go and work out and then I go to the office or wherever I'm going and, and that type of thing. But it is my time to write. Um, if I'm putting the information together for a proposal like a PowerPoint or something like that, that is my time to do that. It is my incredibly creative thinking time Nobody's around. Nobody's going to bug me. Anything else like that. I can mm. totally concentrate and I get a lot done in that hour 15, hour 20, you know, probably not hour and a half. I don't speak real, but I get incredible amounts of work mm -hmm. done and I do it every day. And my my body is so used to getting up at five o'clock in the morning. It happens on weekends, too. Oh, yeah. You know, sometimes yeah. my eyes will pop open at 452. You know, and it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. Saturday morning or it's Sunday. You can sleep <laughs> in a little no. <laughs> so Do you I ever wake up? Do you ever wake up with ideas in your head? They've been rattling around all night. And you get up like, I just need a piece of paper. I got to write this down. Yeah. Does that happen? Yeah. 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 I well, it. I keep a piece of paper and a pen by my bed. If I wake up in the middle of the night, I do not turn on my light. Mm. I find the piece of paper, I find the pencil and I write. Mm. Now, sometimes in the morning when I wake up, I have to look at it and go, all right, what did you <laughs> actually write? Because yeah. it's scribble. Yep. But I'll get it because I've written it. And it, it really and truly works well. So they've told us, or, you know, the experts supposedly say, don't turn on a light because you will be awake mm -hmm. forever. Mm -hmm. um, but actually just, you know, keep the piece of paper, keep the pencil there, which I do, and write it all down, even if it looks like scribble, and then go back to sleep. When you wake up in the morning, you will remember what it is. I love that. And so occasionally that happens. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm working at this process, you know, in my head, before I go to bed and generally, you know, a night or two, boom, I got the answer to it. Yep. You know, I'm working on a really nasty, I don't want from a negative perspective, but a really hard customer problem for whatever it is and comes when I go to sleep. Yep. You get up in the morning, you're like, huh, that was easy, right? Because you, you yeah. put something in one side, you let it sleep on it overnight, your, your mind chews on it, chews on it. So that's why it's so important mm -hmm. to feed your mind with amazing stuff, because if you feed your mind with garbage before you go to bed, your mind only has garbage to work with overnight. Then when you wake up, you feel like crap again, or you feel like you're just in yeah. this weird hole. But if you go to bed with a good mindset, you let your body and your mind chew on it and you wake up in a different mindset. It's just, it's crazy how it works. So many problems or things that I was, things I was working on. Next thing I wake up the next morning, I was like, damn, that was a good idea. Who came up with that? Like you did, dude, you did it when you were sleeping. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. yeah, it's cool stuff. But anyway, so I know you've written many books. One of the titles of your books is Profit Versus Wealth. And I wanted to hit that, mm -hmm. hit on that today on the, in the podcast. So you can, I'd love for you to just take the stage here and tell us about the premise, your philosophy in that profit versus wealth. What's the difference and why should we care? All right. Um, profit 
Profit or Wealth is the sequel to The Courage to be Profitable. Okay. And Courage to be Profitable is is English. You know, what's a P&L, what's a balance sheet, what's cash flow, what's um, net profit per hour, overhead costs and everything. You know, the very basics written in English. Got it. And when I wrote that book, I realized that, oh, my gosh, there's just so much more. You know, once you have the basics, it's like, OK, where is your mindset? Is your mindset only on profit? Mm-hmm. And there's been some of my clients who didn't care about the wealth piece of it. And that's very dangerous. The wealth building piece of it is putting that cash in the bank to make sure, you know, you have three or six months or whatever it is. So profit is just for a specific period of time. Profit is based on obviously your P&L and wealth is based on your balance sheet. You know, obviously you can't build your balance sheet until you're profitable. Mm -hmm. So that has to come first. And then once you build your um, profitability, i.e. month-to-month profits, then you can build your wealth. Your, your wealth is built through assets, i.e. cash in the bank, um, You know whether you have a building or not have a building, and you know, part of it's rented out or whatever else it is. It's also the non-tangible stuff. It is those recurring customers, those customers who buy you know, at a 5% discount every single year. It's whatever you're doing with your customer base to get them to say yes, year in, year in, year in, Oh, you know, year over year over year. And you know, let's assume you want to sell your business at some point in time. That's what people are going to buy. They're not going to buy your P&L. They're going to buy your balance sheet mm-hmm. because they want to know that you have customers who are sticking around. They want to know that you have customers who buy from you year after year after year after year. So profit is, is, is step one, so to speak, because you've got to have a profitable business before you can build the wealth. Mm-hmm. And then once you have the profit, profitable, excuse me, profitable business, then it's time to build the wealth with your customer base, with cash, with other assets. Um, We've got some of my clients who have built more than $250,000 in cash in their business. And, you you know, unless they change the rules where you can have more than $250,000 in a bank account that will be, you know, federally insured, FDIC insured, they go to different banks. Mm -hmm. So, you know, hopefully you get to the point where you have 500,000, a million dollars in the bank. And then you've got probably four or five banks and that's okay. That's really okay. And some of it you may want to put in longer term assets because, you know, the cash flow is a little bit higher from those rather than the two pennies of interest you get on your (laughs) savings account in a bank, at least these days. But, you know, once you, once you have enough cash, you have options, which you don't have if you're scrounging. So tell us a little bit how to get that profit side lined up. So let's start from, you know, just to play the scenario out. I'm a business owner, maybe one, two, three years in business. I'm able to pay my bills. Finally, I can pay my people. There's a little bit left over at the end of the month. You know, how do I go from being profitable to being wealthy over time? Like, what are some of the strategies you could, you could uh, tell us about? All right. So number one, make sure that you truly are profitable. All right. You, you've got your revenues, you've subtracted out your costs of goods, i.e. the cost of producing those revenues, and you've taken all of your overhead into account so that there truly is something left at the end of the mm-hmm. month. You want to make sure you have that. And then that is profit, and that is not cash. So that profit has to be turned into cash, unless you're COD. Mm-hmm. You know, and the likelihood is if you pay up front for a year, yeah, that's COD. Um, but if you're having corporate accounts, you're billing. And so you have to take that profit and turn it into cash, which means that you have to watch your receivables. Mm-hmm. And if a bill is 30 days, 31 days, guess what? You should make a phone call. So from that perspective, that's important. And then the wealth side 
it's the profitability that comes first, profits every single month. Mm -hmm. Then once that profit is turned into cash, i.e. bank deposits, you start taking 1% of all of your deposits and putting it in a savings account. Mm -hmm. If Mrs. Jones pays you up front for an entire year, you put all that money in the savings account because you're going to need it to, as you do the work. Yep. And, you know, so if you spend it all in January, I know it's tough because January, February, March are generally tougher months. Yep. But as you get more and more and more and more, I mean, think about, you know, getting enough to cover overhead for January, February, March in prepaid mm -hmm. recurring revenue. I mean, that's building the wealth. All right. So it's looking at I got profit. Now I have to build the wealth. I have to build my customer base. I have to build my cash. I have to build my other assets. Um, you may want to go buy another business. You know, it's, it that helps to build wealth once you're profitable. So you're adding customer base. You're adding people. You're adding stuff. You know, that also builds your your wealth. And you the really important thing is to decide what your end game is. Is yeah. your end game I'm just shutting the door? Yep. Is your end game, I'm selling it to my kids or I'm passing it along to my kids? Am I selling it to an outsider? I mean, those three end games have very different rules of wealth. If you're just going to shut the door, you take everything out you possibly can and leave nothing in the business. It's done. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm done. Bye. It's been nice. That's not good for your customers, but I've seen people do it. Um, or you might want to sell your customer base at that point. Um and then if you're in a situation where you're passing it along to your kids, then make sure your kids are actually doing something in the business that is productive. You do not want kids to be entitled in your business. If you want to screw up your business, that's really a good way to do it. <laughs> but there are there are owners who have kids who they've taught um, <clears throat> and who are doing really well because if they realize they can't be entitled and they actually work harder than everybody else, then they'll get respect. Mm -hmm. And then they'll learn and everything from that perspective. Or you might decide that you want to build it up to the point where you sell it to an outsider because you don't have kids or they have no interest or something along those lines. And in those cases, you have to build the recurring revenue. It's not an option. Yeah. And that's how you build the wealth there. And then when you sell it, that's when you get the dollars in the door from all of your hard work. I love that. Now, I know a lot of business owners think because they're doing, say, half a million, two million, whatever, fill in the blank, that they're going to be able to sell their business for that much with no reoccurring revenue, especially to design build space. And I, I hate this, you know, to piss everybody off out there. But to be honest with you, your, build, your, your entire business is worth no more than your reoccurring revenue. Uh, and your assets, if you have vehicles that you've paid off and you can sell them, that's all you're going to get. Your name ain't worth shit out there. I'm sorry, but someone else can come in and swoop right in and do it. It's a very low uh, barrier to entry, our type of industry. So you don't have to have, you know, a doctor's office, they have patient base, there's reoccurring revenue, right? Other doctors would see the value in that. But unless you have reoccurring, there's really not a whole lot of value except for the assets that the business holds. So, you know, the way I've done it, because we don't have a lot of reoccurring revenue in that business. And what I've done is do exactly what you've said, to save a bunch of money to the side and started investing in real estate, started investing in, in other uh, tangible assets that that create passive income, right? And those passive income generators then help now support, you know, everything. So 
you don't have to worry about that stuff anymore. So maybe one business doesn't do that. And that's your passion project. That's what you work on. It's what you love to do, but making sure you're investing a portion of that, those proceeds into something else that does so that you're thinking about the family nut and you're thinking about sustainability of the business, but maybe it's not within that because you know what? I hate the idea of mowing grass. I don't, even if someone else did it, I wouldn't want my company around it. I, I just don't like it. That's me personally. So I'm not, I'm not willing to do that. So with that being the case, I need to think differently. And, you know, other industries offer some of those benefits. And that's what I do with the extra that I have is I invest it and sock it away. So, you know, or again, you buy a company that likes mowing grass. It's true. Yeah. It's somebody else that'll run it. And then you're just, you're just a, a you know, interested party in it or start another business. Yeah. You know, I, I run eight businesses yeah. now because I love starting businesses. I love, you know, being part of different industries and all that kind of stuff. And I love that process and, and I love to empower teams and everything like that. But at the same time, you know, it's taken years of, of learning to be able to do those things, but taking monies out and investing to your point, your 1% or even more if you can, um, and get it started to moving around. And then if, if the economy switches up, you're like, bring it on, bitch. Seriously. I'm like, yeah. cause you're, you're balanced in all these different, uh, you know, industries. And it's like, well, one drops another rises. It's like, it's all the same to you. Maybe certain businesses get beat up, but oh, well, that's what it is. And some then rise. So it's, it's, it's a way to insulate yourself from that market volatility. Yeah. I, can I tell a story? Please. So I've been talking about putting 1% away since the 90s. So, I mean, a long time. So there was a guy in my class in the 90s who said, I'm going to start doing that. And then um, unbeknownst to me, when the first um, turn down of the economy and the real estate market died in 2008, 2009, yep. um, he bought the building next door for cash. Nice. Because the, for almost next to nothing, because the guy needed cash. And he tells me this story later on, you know, this is like 10 years later. And he said, I had the cash. I didn't have to get a loan. didn't have to get a mortgage. I wrote him a check. I got the building. He said, I just sold it. He goes, I'm not telling you what I sold it for, but thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> he probably from that, that kind of gap, he probably two, three, four, five X is, is investment. That's, yeah, that's impressive. At least. Yeah. At least. Yeah, at, at least. least. So. It's so yeah, important. he was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. But, you know, it, think about it. He put 1% of revenue away from sometime in the 90s to 2008, yeah. so yeah. maybe 10 years. Yep. He had the cash to do whatever he wanted at that point. Yep, yep. So yes, choices. when the building next door came up from like nothing, he wrote a check. Yeah, exactly. I love that. And I want to make mm -hmm. a, a quick delineation here. You know, some listening may or may not know this. And if you do, that's awesome. If you don't, I learned this probably 20 plus years ago when I uh, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. And he talks about assets versus liabilities. And those words tend to be very skewed. So the simplest form that he says is, you know, an asset puts money in your pocket and a liability takes it out. So if you're thinking like, oh, this is going to be an asset, do that quick test. Is it taking money out of my pocket or is it putting money in? If you can, like people's homes are like, oh, my, my home's an asset. Does it put money in your pocket or does it take money out? Well, it takes money out every month. Okay, so how can I have an office space at my my home that I can legally write off as an office space that can pay my mortgage? Mm -hmm. Like now, okay, now that be that that liability just turned into an asset. Hmm. It's just it's just twisting things and becoming creative. But understanding that basis, 
an asset. We'll put money. A, a boat is not an asset. Okay, guys, a boat is not an asset. It is a liability. A four-wheeler is definitely going to be a liability. It's not going to be an asset. Yeah. Even if you're using it on the job site, it's still going to cost you a lot more than it's going to make you. So don't try to play that justification game like I used to do. Uh, it's, yeah, two of my clients yeah. work on islands. And the only way to get to those islands for those rich people is by boat. Nice. So their boats, that, well, then that you, case, yes. are written on. <laughs> All right, so uh-uh, boats can be a write-off. They can be a write-off, yes, but it's a question of whether they're asset or liability. So in that case, absolute yeah. asset. But, uh, yeah, but, asset yeah. but most are for fishing and like, I want to buy a boat and drive around behind my truck because it looks cool, right? So that, that's the doodad, yeah. that's what they call it, right? So you don't want those. They suck money out of your wallet. Now, having them is not a problem. I have no problem with that, but just know what it is. That's all I'm trying to say here. Don't try to kid yourself, but uh, it's, it's a fun conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are, there are times when boats are assets. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, the first time I saw one working and the first time I was working with this client and, and I looked at this boat that was in his yard. Right. And he looked at me and he went, do not say anything about that. Here are our clients. They're in this Island and this Island and this Island and this Island and this Island. The only way to get there is by boat. Yeah. So we, yeah. all right. And yeah. then I had another client up in Maine who has the same issue. Hmm. Either that, that or a ferry. I love it. I know I try to justify buying a four-wheeler for a while and I'm like, I could put a little wagon behind it and I can go mulch people's properties with it. Like, and it's much more effective. And like my tax accountant shook his head. He goes, dude, you can't do that. I'm like, but it would work legally. I'm what's the difference. I bought a tractor or four-wheeler. He goes, there's a big difference. So I'm not a tax person here. Anybody listening that you're tax related, talk to your attorney or your CPA. But the reality was I was trying to get creative and he, he kept me in line. So there's another little lesson to be learned. Make sure you're asking a professional if you have these crazy ideas and and they're going to say, yeah, well, maybe if you do it this way you can or no don't even try that people have you're not the first to come up with that idea um but you might yeah, find some IRS cool options frown. yeah i wrestle frown on that yeah time. yeah for sure but, i mean if they if they ever got audited they could prove that the boat was used 100 and where the boat went and where yep. the, the customers were so it was not a problem 100 from there it was That's legit cool. No, I like that. I like that. Now, you also wrote another book that focuses on sustainable business growth. And I'd like to wrap the rest of this podcast up by talking about that subject, especially for our new business owners out there that haven't been through the ups and downs economy and all those fun things and the craziness of competition and all those things for, you know, out, out of the COVID sphere, if you will, of where yeah. as long as you had a heartbeat, you got projects. So now things get a little tighter. You have to be a little better at your game. You got to know how to sell, you got to talk and design, how to solve problems, how to add value. How do you build a, a sustainable business model for your business? What are some of your tips on that? You're not going to like the answer to this. It's recurring revenue and marketing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like the idea, but uh, yeah, maybe some of the listeners won't, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and literally do something every day. Yeah. All right. So talk to customers every day. If you've got customers you haven't talked to in a long time and they haven't done business with you in a long time, call them. Don't send them an email. Don't send them a letter call them and say, look, you know, hey, we appreciate your past business, but I was going through our records and I realized that we hadn't done business with you in the past 18 months or two years or whatever it was. I probably don't want to know the answer to this, but I really do need to know the answer to this. Did we do something wrong? And usually there's laughter. Mm -hmm. And and they said, you know, well, you never talked to us. And you're going to find 65% of the time that they're going to say, you never contacted us again after we did business with you. Hmm. And that is the biggest no-no. If you want to build a sustainable business, you talk to your customers all the time. And, you know, we have the social media to be able to do that. We have the email to be able to do that. 
And it does not have to be through a postcard or something like that, but talk to your customers frequently and regularly. It might be through a newsletter. It might be through, hey, we saw this, thought you might be interested in it, and you know, send them a link to something. I mean, just do things that let them know that you're around and you care. Yeah. Not necessarily ask for you know a job every time, but again, provide the value. And we've talked about that on this session, you know, beforehand. Mm-hmm. Just provide value, do the marketing, stay in touch with your customers, recurring revenue. <laughs> yeah. Re- <laughs> well, of course, that's the core of all of that. That makes it a lot easier to not have to be out there constantly fighting. Because you know what'll happen is if you don't build that, what's going to happen? Thirteen years from now, you're going to look back and you're going to have. 13 years worth of kind of hand to mouth, you know, or paycheck yep, to paycheck where exactly. each, you're out there hunting projects constantly because you're hungry. Imagine being a caveman going out there hunting for elk or whatever to, to feed. And then you, you feed and then you're hungry again. So you go out and hunt again. And that cycle is what people in business tend to stay in. They never break out of it. So reoccurring certainly helps with that. And, and diversifying your, you know, your investment, that 1% and buying other things in other industries is going to help as well. Starting other businesses all that's going to help with that. So you're not constantly having to hunt because in hunting mode, you're in survival mode. Your mindset is very different in survival mode than in thriving mode. If you create a business or a, a suite of businesses that thrive in all economies, you're not in survival mode anymore. You are in thriving mode and you you approach your business, your teams, your customers, everybody differently when you're in thriving mode. So can you talk a little bit about that, uh, Ruth, and, and what your thoughts are on that subject? The, the thing about thriving is, as you said, you don't have this nagging thing waking up at three o'clock in the morning wondering whether one of your customers is going to pay so you can pay payroll. Yep. You know, once you have what I, you know, enough revenue coming in the door every single month to cover all of your expenses, you're in thriving mode. Yep. You're absolutely in thriving mode. And I think Robert Kiyosaki talks about that in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, about getting to the level where you're... Um, money coming in the door covers all of your expenses so you can do whatever you want. You know, your passive income takes care of all of that. And that is something that you can and should do and, and strive for. And once you know what that number is, you know, and figure it out, it's not hard. You know, you know what your expenses are. And if you can get that in revenue and recurring revenue every month or some side of passive income every month, you are in thrive mode. You do not care what happens yep. to the economy as we started this conversation. And the other thing is that you won't be afraid to fire a customer who should be fired. Yep. And customers get fired because they don't pay their bills. They always complain. They never are happy with what you do. And at that point where you're thriving, it, it's a lot easier to fire a customer than if you're in survival mode. 100%. And yeah. Yep, and yep. so at that point, it's like, okay, why don't you go, you know, we're not going to be able to do your business again or anymore. Here are three other companies that you can go to. Yep. You never leave them in the lurch. You always give them a couple of companies that they can go to. And a lot of times I actually do come back. I've seen this over and over and over again because they realize the grass isn't greener on the other side and they had a pretty good deal with you. Yep. And then you say, yes, you can come back. Here are the rules. Exactly. I mean, that, that that's when you yep. flip the switch from survival to thriving mode and I know this because back in May of this year, you know, my wife and I, we became financially free from that same concept, right? And mm-hmm. to, to create that. So passive income covers all of our expenses. So, you know, that's it takes the survival part out. You know, you don't have that constant nut in your gut, something constantly you're waking up at three o'clock in the morning. How am I going to pay payroll? How am I going to do these kinds of things, right? But it's it's 
it takes, it shifts your entire mindset. Cause now it's like, okay, well, I'm only going to work with the clients that I want to work with. I'm only going to do the things that I want to do. And that shift and all of a sudden like, but I could have done that even before this. I just didn't, I just didn't know how, or didn't, didn't, uh, didn't have the guts to do that. Cause I'm afraid that if I told them, no, it might be my last person that calls me. And if it's the last person that calls me, then I'm not going to be able to make bills and I've got all this stuff and it's a bigger problem. So I can't say no. And then I feel like I'm getting used like a horse out there with clients who won't pay me my value and all this because I have to, it's my obligation to my company that I'll just take on shit work in order to get bills paid. But once you shift yeah. out of that into thriving mode, you become dangerous because you're like, no, I'm not putting up with that. That client wants to be nasty. My team out. Nope. Bye. Fire clients. Adios, man. It's either going to be my way or the high when it comes to it. I'm not trying to be a dick about it. Seriously, just you, you, you start becoming more particular because you realize that I don't have to if I don't want to. My bills are paid anyway. So why would I tolerate that? I either have very long or very short relationships with my clients. Yeah, me too. Um, my oldest client started with me in 1987 and sold his business in December of last year. Yeah. And he, you know, I helped him sell it and everything like that. And he, it was time for him to, to go. Yeah. Um, but my thing is I'm not wasting your time, your money and my time. If you're not going to do what I tell you to do, you're leaving. Yep. Exactly. Find somebody else who will listen to your bullshit. or clients that call us and be like, yeah, I want all of these things for a hundred thousand dollars. And I'm like, that's $350,000 worth of stuff. Sorry, dude. Yeah. I'm not even going to waste my time with this. I'll, I'll push it to your point. We'll give them a graceful exit, tell them where they can go and try to find someone else that'll do it for them. We're always helpful, always add value. But I'm like, yeah. Mm -hmm. And our team, you know, our entire team is the same way. They're like, they're looking through it. You're like, nope, sorry. It's, it's not going to be a good fit for them or for us. And if it's not win-win, there's no deal. It's that simple. So you go from, I have to have this project to, I want it either. I want it or I don't want it. Or if this client's going to be paying the ass and the project is great, I'm sorry. It's not a good cultural fit. It's not a good personality fit. And okay. it's when you get to that point, I'm telling you, it's something freeing about that where you're like, you know what? No. And, and the crazy part is universe like attracts like. So pretty soon universe starts sending you more of the people that you want. And you're like, how the heck did that happen? It's, it's fascinating stuff. Yeah, Absolutely. Cool. So Ruth, do you have anything else you want to drop on our listeners here as we wrap up? Any other little nuggets of information based on our conversation or just in general? Watch your cash, save your cash, recurring revenue. I love it. That will get you profitable and it will help you build wealth. So do it. it. Ruth, this has been a great conversation. I always enjoy our conversations. You're such a firecracker and I love it, right? Six books is just (laughs) sick. I love it. Especially everything else you're doing too. So how can people find you if they're interested in either, you know, tell us actually first, what do you do beyond just coming on podcasts and being awesome? Like what else do you do? How can other people engage you and where can they find you? All right. So I have a lot of online classes. I have a book bookkeeping class for for contractors, i.e. landscape guys and everything else like that, because most, most, Companies have really good abilities to do the work, but not they've hired their wife or they've hired their mother or somebody else who really doesn't know bookkeeping to handle the books. This gives you the basics of bookkeeping. If you go to my website, which is ruthking.info, a lot of it's there. Um, I have not moved everything over yet. It's on hvacchannel.tv, which is also off my website. And if you have a quick question, I am happy to answer questions. If it's, you know, not going to be six hours or something like that. Um, a lot of pricing courses, things that you can do online that way. Um, give me a call at 770-729-8000. I, you know, Brenda answers the phone. I do return my phone calls or send me an email and it's rking, 
K-I-N-G at ontheribbon.com, O-N-T-H-E-R-I-B-B-O-N.com. I'm happy to answer questions and help. Well, thank you, Ruth. I mean, that's that's gold right there. Anybody listening that uh, is, you know, doesn't understand bookkeeping or needs to understand how to do that or how to even train somebody in their office how to do some of the bookkeeping and they don't want to hire somebody, uh, reach out. She's got programs for that. She can teach you how to do it so you're not trying to fuddle through, figure it out yourself. Uh, she's been doing this forever. So, I mean, Ruth is the real deal here. So thank you again, Ruth, for being on the podcast. I'm sure I'll have you back. Uh, I always enjoy our conversation. Hope our guests do as well. And guys, thank you for listening here. It's, it's, it's every one of you listening is what keeps this podcast moving. And I love to see people gaining knowledge and sharing it. And, uh, I'm truly blessed and privileged to be able to come on each week and interview some more cool people. And I learn stuff every time and I hope you do as well. So <laughs> thanks for your continued listening. And, uh, we'll be back to you next week. 